Hello, and welcome to The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. On this show, we look at what it means to age in America and in other places around the world with positive and empowering conversations that challenge, encourage, and inspire all to age with abundance. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Richard Eisenberg, who is an amazing leader that is driving positive conversations about aging. He has a long history in journalism, particularly on the subject of personal finance. Just look at his work with Money Magazine and Next Avenue as a start. He is especially passionate about discovering and defining new models of work as one ages and the value that grows with you as you gain experience in your career. Currently, he is unretired, that's an official title, and has several projects underway in podcasting and writing, especially for financial publications. And he is also involved in age-related projects at NYU and Columbia. Phew! That's what unretired looks like. Welcome, Richard. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. So first of all, would you please share in your own words more about your background and how did you find yourself in the world of aging? Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a longtime journalist. I started at Money Magazine and I was there for about 19 years. I started there as a fact checker. And when I left, I was the executive editor. I did lots of different things there. And then I was at Good Housekeeping for about 10 years. I was special projects director. Then I was at Yahoo. And then I was part of the launch team for Next Avenue, which was the PBS website for people over 50. We started that back in 2011. It's still running, going strong now. And I stayed there for 10 years. And then I left there in January of 2022 because I wanted to begin, as you said, calling my unretirement. What I want to do is I want to keep working, but I want to work when I wanted to, where I wanted to, for who I wanted to, with people I wanted to, as much as I could, but also have time to do other things that I didn't have time to do when I had a full-time job. And I would say my interest in aging partly came as I've gotten older myself. I'm 66 now, but also because when I started at Next Avenue, we were trying to figure out what would people over 50 be interested in. And we created this website from scratch. And I was the editor of the Money Channel and the Work and Purpose Channel, but I work with my colleagues there on health and lifestyle and, and caregiving issues. And the more I edited and wrote articles about it, the more interested I became in aging. And that's where it become my passion these days. Great. Actually, I just brought up your name in a conversation a couple of hours ago with an individual who retired from full-time faculty work. And she's now working about 30 hours a week. And I said, you need to talk to Rich Eisenberg. He's you're, sounds like you're doing the same thing, what you want to do when you want to do it and you let go of that other stuff. So can you share a little bit more about your favorite projects at this moment in your retirement? And what are you excited to be involved in right now? Sure. Well, I would say there are four of them. One is I've been writing a column for Market Watch called The View from Unretirement. I do that every two weeks. And it's basically to try to help people who are either thinking about unretiring or maybe are in that and trying to help them with that transition because it can be a little challenging for people. So I enjoy doing that. I've, I'm running a program this summer called the Digital Media Strategies Program of the NYU Summer Publishing Institute. I did that last summer also, and I really love it. It's a program where we bring in experts in the field of digital media to talk to students, recent college grads and rising seniors who are interested in learning about digital media, maybe working in it. And we give them two weeks of total immersion where they're having 
workshops and sessions all day long. And then they create a digital media brand at the end of the two weeks. And I enjoy it because I love to mentor and I also love to learn myself. And so this is a way for me to do both. The third one, I guess I would say, is my volunteering. On weekends, I volunteered at a place called Furniture Assist. And we may talk a little bit more about that later on. But I'm really enjoying that because it's a chance to, I feel I'm being helpful. This is a place where people donate things that they no longer need in their homes. And then people who need them come and take them. And those are people who are brought in through social services agencies. And I feel like it's really helping people in on two sides. And I'm getting a little exercise at the same time. And then the last project is something I just started recently. It's a project where we're going to be teaching high school students who don't know very much about investing or personal finances, the basics. And we're doing it through teaching them Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway shareholders letters. And so the, the teachers are going to create a, a course for these students. It'll be virtual where they're going to have the students read the letters and then they're going to ask them questions about some of the key terms in them to help them understand more about investing. And my job is I'm copy editing the teacher's guide, but I'm doing that by using chat GBT, which is really interesting. And sometimes it works very well and sometimes it does not. That's just amazing, Rich. You're, you really are embodying what it means to be involved intergenerationally in, in on retirement. The fact that you're working on this curriculum for high school students and folks at the college level. And then with your volunteering, I would imagine that's probably people of all ages as well. It is. And that's one of the things I love most about it is there are young people and then there are people who are retired. And we work together. We talk with each other. We're learning from them. They're learning from us. And it's really, I just love to do things that are intergenerational. And I think that's so important as you get older to try to find ways to do it because often that doesn't come easily for people. And we don't have a lot of ways that people can naturally do that, but I feel like we need to. And the fact that you're using Warren Buffett's letters, that's another generation ahead. And, and so pulling his wisdom into the mix as well. That's just exactly. fantastic. So I'm going to start with a big question here. Is retirement ageist? I think the traditional definition of retirement is ageist because it suggests You've left your work and you're doing nothing. Well, you're living a life of leisure. And I don't want to dismiss that for people who want to be doing that because for some people, that's exactly what gives them pleasure. And if that's what you want to do, by all means, do that. But for a lot of people, that's not what retirement is these days. It's more like kind of what I'm doing. It's doing a little work, doing some volunteering, spending more time with family and friends, maybe doing some traveling if you're lucky. And so I feel like when we say retirement, that is ageist because people think, oh, that means I've retired from life. And I really don't think it should. Yeah. And it's also so tied to a specific chronological age and the time to make that transition from what I like to say when we have to work for healthcare, <laughs> And once we are able to get on Medicare, then that kind of changes a little bit of that dynamic. And just the fact that that's based on age and assumes that, you know, once you hit a certain age, you're not productive or aren't valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I'll tell you something about that. It's interesting. You know, I've been pretty public about what I'm calling my unretirement. And I can't tell you, I'm still surprised how often this happens. I will set up an interview with somebody for an article I'm going to be writing. And the first thing they say to me, and these are usually people who know me, 
is, hey, I thought you were retired. Like, if I'm retired, I'm not allowed to be doing what I'm doing. And I tell them, well, this is my definition of retirement, and I am retired, but it's not maybe the way you think retirement should be. And I'm still stunned that people still assume that's what retirement has to mean. Yeah. And somebody today earlier introduced themselves. She said, yeah, I'm, I've flunked retirement. <laughs> yeah, and, so and you know, and quite frankly, I, I would hope that most of us would flunk retirement in that traditional sense. So yeah, let's, let's figure out how we redefine it. And we need a new word. We need a new word. And maybe that's the issue. We can't find one word for everybody because it means so many different things. Yeah, it could be. I know some people use the word rewiring, not retiring. You know, that's cute. And maybe that's what it is. But I do feel you're right that some people, when they say they flunk retirement, it's because it's such a tricky transition. And for a lot of people, they run into issues of identity. They knew who they were when they were working and they liked being called professor or doctor, and everybody knew them as that. And now they're not doing that maybe at all or maybe as much. And now they're not quite sure who they are anymore. And sometimes they miss being introduced that way. And, you know, I talked to a guy for an article I did recently where he was talking to a friend of his who had been a doctor and now is retired. And he said, you know, I'm really sort of miss when they call me by doctor when I'm getting a reservation at a restaurant. And he said, well, you know what? I've never been a doctor and I don't mind going to restaurants and having them call me by my name. It's not so bad. Yeah. yeah. Other words I've heard are re reprimand, as in reprioritizing or mm. inspirement. It's a period of inspirement. Yeah. So all kinds of options out there, but I don't know that we'll ever settle on one. So as we think about the, that transition, let's step back for a minute and think about the workforce in general. We have a history where older adults are shut out, and sometimes that's at 65, and sometimes that's in the 10 years prior to 65 because they're getting too expensive, you know, after years of raises. But don't we need older workers today? We really do. I mean, we probably need them more than we've needed them in a long time, maybe ever, because there aren't enough younger workers, and the work still needs to get done. And there are a lot of older people who want to keep working. Some of them need to keep working financially, but others want to just do it because they enjoy the work. And, and employers are making a big mistake when they are ignoring this potential workforce. They're sometimes not hiring them at all. They're not giving them job interviews or they're getting rid of them when they're looking for ways to cut back. And I feel like they're making a big mistake. Yeah. And how much do, do demographics play into what we're experiencing in terms of needing workers today? Uh, a lot. There's a great book that came out recently called The Super Age by Bradley Sherman. And he makes a really interesting point. He says, you know, sometimes we think that we're in sort of a very small time frame right now where the job market's tight. And so employers are going to need older workers because, you know, they need to get the jobs done, but that's going to pass. But the reality, he says, is the demographics show it's not going to pass because if you look over the next 10, 20, 30 years, there are not going to be enough younger people climbing the ranks and work, wanting to work. And there are going to be more and more older people who many of them still want to work and are able to work. And so the demographics are really on the side of older workers. The problem that they're facing is the age discrimination by employers. And I'm hoping that we're going to see that continually 
to get reduced. And we've seen a little bit of that, I think partly because they've had to. I'm hoping we'll start seeing some of that because they realize they, they need to. And, the, and so what are we going to do? What do we need to do in our workforces then when we have folks continuing to work long during longer periods in, into their later years, whether or not that's full-time or not, or they're on retirement, and then we have younger workers. What kind of dynamics do you see that setting up within the workplace itself? Well, what we need to see is better intergenerational, multi-generational teams working together. The research I've seen has shown that when they work together, they're actually more productive and more profitable for the employers, the businesses, than teams of a particular age, whether it's all younger or all older. But a lot of employers don't really know how to make that work. And there's sometimes some tension. And mostly, I think it's just misunderstandings between the older generation and the younger generation because they work differently. And I think what we need is more conversations to say, well, here's how I do it and why I do it this way. And then the other people say, well, here's how I do it and why I do it this way. And then each generation maybe try a little bit more of the way that the other generation does it. Or maybe sometimes say, well, that's not the way I would have done it, but if it works for you, that's great. And so I'm finding that I'm doing a little bit more texting for work than I used to. I used to make phone calls and emails. And now sometimes I do more electronic versions. And I'm finding that some younger people are not so unwilling to pick up the phone and do Zoom interviews also. So what would you say to the employers? Why keep older workers or why hire older workers? What makes them so valuable? Well, you know, it's hard to generalize and everybody's different, but I will say that a lot of older workers bring a lot of expertise. And so they, they've learned a lot. They know a lot. They've made mistakes and they know the mistakes that have been made by them or other people where they've worked or places they've seen. And so they can sometimes help an employer and the workforce avoid making those mistakes because it's already happened once. Not to say that, you know, things can't be changed, but sometimes you know, yesterday's mistakes aren't necessarily going to be a problem this time, but often they are. So I feel like the older workers bring that expertise, they bring wisdom, they often bring compassion and empathy because they've been around for a while and they know, you know, that life takes some unhappy turns sometimes and younger people haven't experienced that quite as much. So I feel like they have a lot that they can offer. And by the same token, I think there's a lot that younger people have to offer to older workers. And, you know, often that starts with technology, but not necessarily. But sometimes it's just a different way of thinking and a different way of doing things. I remember reading an article many years ago and it was about an individual, I believe, in California, and he had an, an auto repair shop. And the, there were a couple guys who worked for, and they were guys worked for him for years and years. And one by one, they retired, and then he, re, you know, newer mechanics were hired in. And the owner discovered that there was a definite change in the work that was being done. And the article is pointing out the fact that. Older workers, you know, when we played with our hands and we were very tactile and the younger folks, we had, you know, have done a lot of things digitally and he had, he brought some of the older, I believe some of the older folks back part-time just to help the, with the thinking, how to tackle the problems and, and helping to guide the younger workers just because our brains have been wired 
because of some of the societal changes, including just the ways we've played as, as very young children. That's fascinating. And what I'd like to see employers do a better job of is helping the older workers pass on their knowledge to the younger workers while they're still there. What happens often is somebody is in their 60s or their 70s, they decide they're going to leave the job. And, you know, what happens is, you know, maybe there's a retirement party these days when people are working from home often. That doesn't even happen. But they basically, they walk out the door, either physically or virtually, and the people who are left don't know anything about how that person did their job or who they knew. And there's this terrific brain drain walking out the door. And I just think that's bad management. I think it'd be so much better if the employer said, well, we all know that this person is leaving in six months. So before that person leaves, you know, we're going to do X, Y, Z so that they can pass on what they know to the people who are going to be left. So they'll be able to pick up the slack and do the job just the way it was done or maybe better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's say that you're talking to one of our listeners who's trying to enter their this next phase. They're moving beyond their primary career days, but they still don't want to leave the workforce. What advice would you give them? How do they make that transition? So a couple of things. The first is I think they would want to think to themselves, well, what do I want to be doing? How do I want to spend my time? Who do I want to be working with? Where do I want to be doing my work? And really figure out what's your ideal scenario. And if that includes continuing to work where you're working, but not as much, or maybe not from where you're doing it, then come up with a plan that you can present to your employer that will work for the employer and will work for you and say, this is what I'd like to do. I've been working five days a week, 10, 12 hour days. What I'd like to do is, is gradually phase out and do maybe four days a week and then three and then two, or maybe go from my five days a week to three days a week, whatever you think would be best. But what you want to really do is show the employer it's not going to be a problem for the employer, that here's how you have figured out the way the job will still get done. And there's usually a way to do it. And maybe you say, let's try it out. Let's have a three-month or six-month trial period and see how it goes. And employers are often more willing to try that because it's less of a risk. Some of them will say absolutely not, and that happens. But hopefully, you'll get them to agree because they don't want to lose you. They want to keep you as much as they can, and they also want you to be happy. And if you can find a way to do that where you're happy and they're happy, that's, that's a really great way to go. Absolutely. Well, hopefully people can find the courage and the vision to be able to have, begin to have those conversations. And ideally, it would be great if employers would initiate those conversations with individuals so it's not left up to the individual themselves. Yeah. You know, there are some employers have phased retirement programs, but it's pretty rare. It's usually more ad hoc. It's like the employee comes to the employer and says, I'd like to do this. Rarely does the employer come to the employee and says, how about doing this? Now, I understand the employees don't want to get themselves in, into hot water and, and there may be, you know, legal issues about, you know, making a suggestion that the person is going to be, you know, out the door. So often I understand why it falls to the employee. And I also understand why some employees are reluctant to do it because they don't want to take the chance that the employer will say no. And then the employer may think, well, gee, this person doesn't really want to work here any longer. So it is a little scary to do it. But I think these days it's happening more and more. And so employers 
are a little more understanding and grateful to have those conversations than a few years ago when it was just so rare. There are also some situations where either the employer is not open to that or it may be the kind of situation where for confidentiality or whatever reasons, it's not appropriate for the person to stay in that particular company. Do you have any best practices? So how would I go out into the world and approach somebody else, another business could be completely outside of my field or within my field to say, hey, would you know, do you have positions that are part-time for older workers? How do you even begin to have those conversations or find those opportunities? Well, it's not easy, but it's possible. There, there are more and more job boards that are listing part-time jobs, remote jobs in a way that wasn't true before. So I would say I would look for those to see which ones exist. But I would also think about employers that I'd like to work for. Maybe they're local, maybe they're not. And and snoop around a little bit on their website or talk to people who work there and just see, is it being done at all? You know, what's their attitude toward that? And if you can't find out, but you want to do it, then, you know, put yourself in front of the employer and say, this is what I would like to do and how I'd like to do it. And when, it, you know, the worst that will happen is to say, sorry, we don't do it that way. But there's a good chance that they'll say, well, let's talk. Let's see. Or they'll say, well, maybe we can do this on a contract basis where you'll be doing this for the next three months or six months. So that may not be exactly what you have in mind, but it's a start. So I would say, you know, it, it falls to you to be proactive, but I would say it's po- more possible now than it ever was probably. So in some ways you may, we may need to develop kind of entrepreneurial mindsets when we enter this stage to become consultants or, or like you said, contracted work, which may be completely a new set of skills that we thought had to do previously. That's right. A lot of people find when they're doing their unretirement that they are becoming consultants or they're doing gig work or they're doing similar work to what they did before, but not exactly the same. But I would also say that these days, most people who get any kind of job, full-time or part-time, do it through referrals, not through job boards. So the more you can get the word out that this is what you're looking for to people that you know on LinkedIn, any way that you can, you know, through community organizations or religious organizations, wherever, you know, chances are you'll ultimately find somebody who knows somebody who can tell you about a job that you might want to do. Yeah. And then there's the individual who wants to do something completely different. I had a colleague, he served local churches for probably close to 40 years. His daughter lived in Central Florida and their family loved Disney World. And so his dream on retirement job was to work at Disney World. And he had to start out working in the gift shop, which he wasn't too fond of. But his goal, his dream on retirement job was to drive one of the shuttle services that kind of went from the resorts to the parks and whatnot. So it may also be just completely doing something completely new, completely different, but something that gives you energy and joy. Well, that's right. And that's one of the things that's best about this time of life is if you're healthy enough to do it, and not everybody is, but if you are, it's a chance to try new things and to explore and to let yourself fail and try something that you've always wanted to do, or maybe you did when you were a kid, but now's the time you're going to do it. There's one fellow I interviewed a few years ago named Sean Askinosi, who had been a very successful lawyer for many years, 
but he got increasingly disenchanted with being a lawyer. What he was really enchanted with was chocolate. And so he started what is now Askenazi Chocolates, and he loves doing it. And um, part of why he likes to do it is not only because it's it was a passion of his, but he's helping people in other parts of the world make a living who weren't able to do it before because they are now, you know, growing the chocolate in a way that they didn't have an opportunity before making a living. So they're happier and he's happier. I love that word. What do you, what enchants you? Yeah. That, that's a great way to, to think about it. You had in your opening talk just briefly about your volunteer work. Was there something else that you wanted to mention about that experience for you or that organization? Well, I guess the only thing I would say that I didn't is I really admire the gentleman who started it. His name is Dawson Yeomans, and most people have never heard of him before. But he, And he's a guy who he is now in his, I will say, mid to late 80s. And he started this on his own a few years ago. He had been a, a computer tech person for all of his career. And he just felt like there was a need to help people who were in tough situations, who needed furniture and household goods, but didn't have the income. And, and so they, he then, and he also realized there were a lot of people who wanted to downsize or didn't need things they had in their homes and didn't know what to do with their stuff. And so he matched them up and, you know, I, and he's there every Saturday and Sunday and works on it during the week. And, you know, he's doing it as a volunteer, like the rest of us are, but I'm just so inspired to see how he took his idea and turned it into something that's so helpful for people and you just see the smiles on people's faces, both when they're taking things and when they're delivering things. And I'm just a huge fan of what he's done. Well, talk about somebody who is doing something completely different. And we also, when we talk about an individual being called or part of their spiritual journey, it's that connection when we see a world, a need in the world, and we're able to find a way to meet that need. And that sounds like exactly what he's doing. And, it, and it's great that his organization allows you and other volunteers to participate in that as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So just before we get into our last three questions that we ask of all our guests, I want to reflect on you and your role as a journalist in this space. What are we not covering that should we should be covering when it comes to aging? What stories are we not telling that it would be helpful for the general public to hear? I'd like to see more stories about people in this stage of life doing new things. And I don't mean the parachuting out of an airplane, which is fine. I'm happy when people do it. But there are a lot of the rest of us who aren't never going to do that. But we are finding ways that are fulfilling. And I don't feel like we're seeing enough of those stories. And I think we're not seeing enough stories that help people to figure out how to do that. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that and a little less about the war between the generations. I feel like that's really not as real as the articles might sometimes make it seem. I think you need to make sure that the story's told about the gentleman you were just telling us about and the organization that he's formed. Yeah, yeah well, I wrote an article for Market Watch about that, so I'm hoping people will find that too. Okay. And, and, you know, I, I wrote an article at Next Avenue a few years ago that turned out to be one of the most popular articles that the site ever ran. It was called, Sorry, Nobody Wants Your Parents' Stuff. And I wrote I that. I read before. that. Okay. 
That was me. And I wrote it because my father had just passed away. And my sister and I were suddenly in this position of needing to quickly figure out what to do with the things he had in his apartment, which was not very big. And my mother had passed away a few years ago. But they needed everything out very quickly because they wanted to rent that to somebody else. And we quickly found there were very few people who wanted the things he had. And I mean, charities would say no to the furniture. And it was just so frustrating. And so when I heard about this place, Furniture Assist, that actually was helping people who wanted to find a home for their parents' stuff or their own stuff, I was delighted. And I felt like my journalism and my volunteering found the home together. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. And I really did read that article. And I think it was about the time that my my father-in-law was moving into assisted living and he passed away about nine months later. But one of the biggest obstacles for him leaving his apartment and moving into assisted living was his stuff. Yep. He had a lovely dining room set and he, none of the six kids or 14 grandkids had room for this. Right. And he wasn't willing to let go of it. And yeah, so it only happened after he could no longer make that decision itself. So yeah, that's a whole nother conversation about how we let go of our stuff. Yeah. We can yeah. talk about that another time too. Exactly. So three questions that we like to ask all of our guests at the end of our podcast. Are you ready? I know that we've shared these with you ahead of time. So listeners know that you, or maybe you want them to think, Oh, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. But question number one, when you think about how you've aged, what do you think has changed about you or grown with you that you really like about yourself? I think I would say it is my changing priorities. When I was younger, I really cared all about work and you know everything else was very much secondary. And as I've gotten older, I still care about work, but I really put much more priority on family and friendship. And in the recent years, much more about friendship than I had in the past. And so I, I mean, I'm enjoying f finding opportunities to reconnect with old friends and sometimes get together with them and catch up. And I feel like that's something that, that I'm proud about and happy about. And I've also sort of lost a little bit of some of the anger issues I had when I was starting in my career. And I think probably all that was insecurity, but I feel like I'm a little happier and e more easygoing these days. Fantastic. Thanks. Okay. Question number two, what has surprised you most as you've aged? I guess the importance of meaning and purpose in my life. I feel like, you know, that was always sort of tucked away in the back of my head, but I feel like as I get older and I'm, you know, I just feel like, you know, what can I be doing to be helpful and where can I find meaning and purpose in my life? I wrote an article for Market Watch recently about Ikigai, and I may be not pronouncing it the way I ought to. Forgive me for that. But it's a Japanese term that basically means a reason to get up in the morning. And I feel like all of us need to find that, and particularly when we're in our retirement years, to find that Ikigai. And if you can do that, and it may be one thing and maybe a few things, I think it'll give you a lot more happiness. And that's what I'm trying to do. Great. Absolutely. Okay. And finally, the last one, is there someone you've met or who has been in your life that has set a good example to you for aging? Someone that inspires you to age abundantly? Well, I guess I have to go back to the man I was just talking about before, Dawson Yeomans. He's a man who you know, found a need of 
where people needed things and there were people who didn't need things and that he could be helpful in putting them together, but also that he realized that in his 80s, he could be helpful and do something that he'd never done before. And he does it with a smile and he's always the first one there every Saturday and Sunday morning, the last one to leave. Um, and I see how much he enjoys it. And the fact that he's happy brings me joy and everybody who sees him uh, and volunteers there as well. And that's a role model that I, I aspire to. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Art of Aging podcast of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. We want to hear from you. What's changed about you as you've aged that you love? What has surprised you most? And how do you define abundant aging? And who is your abundant aging hero or your abundant aging influencer? Join us at AbundantAgingPodcast.com to share your ideas. You can also give us feedback when you visit the Ruth Frost Parker Center website at unitedchurchhomes.org. And Richard, where can people find you today in your unretirement? Well, I work for my home in Westfield, New Jersey. That's where you can find me, literally. But figuratively, you can find me on Market Watch. The column's called The View from Unretirement. On Next Avenue, where I write fairly often about money and work issues. For Fortune, where I'm writing about Medicare these days. Uh, and also a podcast that I've been doing for a few years called Friends Talk Money, which I do with Pam Kruger and Terry Savage. And people can get that wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. Peace.